We're on chapter 4. And where we left it last Thursday, in our last class, was verse 20. I hope you remember in the last class we were talking about the definition of action versus inaction versus right action and wrong action and finally get to the point where you realize that you're not acting at all and that we were never the doer and God has always been the doer. The fact is that in all our cases right now, God is the doer. It's just, you know, our ignorance continues to demand and, you know, persist with the fact that, no, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm feeling this, I have what I need, I need this more. And so we'll continue with Krishna instructing us on how we can move away more and more from that, um, well, from that delusion, really. So where we left it is Krishna telling us that the wise, having relinquished the attachments to the fruits of their actions, being ever contented and free in the self, do not really act, even if they appear to be intensely busy. So this is where he's creating. And that's why Krishna himself can say, I am actionless, I am birthless. Because not that in that lifetime he was not acting, he did not have a birth, but his identification was just not with this limited temporal vessel that is the means to hold consciousness, but by no means does it limit our consciousness. And so we'll begin now with verse 21. Even in doing physical labor, as opposed to meditative work. So this is even when they're doing a lot of outward activity, seemingly very clear that it is them who is doing it. One incurs no karmic limitation, who has renounced all sense of possession, one, who is without personal desires, two, and whose feelings or chitta are controlled by the inner self. Now, in our last class, we talked about the three layers of activity being consciousness, sat, through om, through tat, which is the individualized, you know, expression of that infinite consciousness. Now we'll talk about another layer. There's always layers. That's the problem. This sieve, almost you can say that, takes consciousness and filters it, filters it till we get what we get. And this layer now is the layer of the four aspects of how consciousness expresses itself through each one of us. We talked about this in the early classes, but it's important because here Krishna brings up the concept of chitta again. And we talked about yoga's chitta vritti nirodh is the way Patanjali defines yoga or the union that we're seeking as the neutralization of chitta. So let's come back to those four stages. And those four stages are Man, Buddhi, Ahankar, Chitta. Mind, Intellect, Ego, Feeling. That is Chitta. And remember we talked about the example. Mind is like this mirror. It reflects everything. Just It's the perceiver. It perceives all that this world has to give us. The intellect comes in and it analyzes and discriminates 
thereby separating the world just a little bit so it makes sense to us. Then the ego comes in and what the ego does is what's really interesting and this is what uh, Krishna here is talking about because it's that sense of I, I am the doer, I feel, I want, I do, that really creates that first layer of confusion and delusion that sets in. Because great masters as well have to come in and perform their activities fully in this world. Now Krishna here says, he who has renounced all sense of possession, he who is without personal desires, he whose feelings are controlled by the inner self, only he is free from all karma. Now, if I were to think about that, it seems like a very kind of dry existence. Like, I can't have any possessions. I can have no personal desires. You know, I can't, all my feelings have to be very controlled. Am, am I like, am I gonna become a robot? I mean, am I gonna just become this automaton? I must do this, so therefore I do this. You know, but we don't see any of the saints acting like this, moving around like this, completely removed. No, they're just totally, the way Swami Kriyananda put it, in fact, he says, Master was more human than you and I can ever be because their ability to actually, you know, feel <laughs> is unrestricted. As opposed to us for our feelings go through all our little machinations. So let's go through this. You've got the mind, you've got the ability to perceive, which is the senses feeding us the information. You've got the intellect that then processes, analyzes, discriminates the information and puts it into something that makes sense to us. But then you've got the ego and the ego's role is always relating everything back to itself. And that is where the idea of possession, where the idea of, I love the word, the way Krishna puts it, personal desire. Because desire itself is not wrong, is not bad. What does desire do? In fact, desire gives us direction, purpose, a goal. I have the desire to, you know, support my family. Otherwise, I'd just be a vegetable if I have no desires. But the caveat here is this personal desire. So you've seen something, you've understood what it is, but then you want this, you have this deep need to relate it back to yourself. And then comes chitta, and the chitta is then dividing that relationship into good or bad, pleasurable or painful, what I like and what I don't like. And those are the feelings. But you know that the great ones have great feelings. In the autobiography, we see Master going through feeling this great loss of his, of, the, of his mother, feeling this hurt when he's betrayed, feeling this anguish when God won't come to him, feeling this the desperation. Tree? Huh? The trees. The trees? Like feeling that savior. Feeling when those, when the disciples are working with the trees and saying, can't you, you know, they were, he was telling them, work with them really carefully because can't you feel that they're alive? So he's feeling all this and in fact, he's feeling it much more, but this is the step that they skip is that ahankar. You see, when feeling, this is what Krishna is saying here, when our chitta is being controlled by the inner self, which means feeling, where it's like that I-ness doesn't exist and so therefore God can completely move through us and allow us to feel fully as well. In fact, the saints aren't just feeling what, what's flowing through them, they're feeling us as well. 
so they can feel not just so if somebody um, insults them to give a daily you know just a relatable example they not only can feel the vibration of the insult but they also can feel how that insult the karma that that insult is creating in that person and how much pain that person is going to go through so their ability to feel is so much more powerful than ours it's just that iness of the ahankar doesn't exist it's just an insult came and it passed through them and this leads us to the next verse where then krishna says he is free from karmic involvement who is contented with whatever comes to him uninvited so first krishna is talking about more the the principle the principle is no possessions where there is no concept of possessions where there is no concept of personal desire and all our feelings are being controlled are being received directly from the inner self so that's the kind of higher state a state that's a little yet unknown to us but then he breaks it down to the next level of state something that we can test ourselves on he is free from karmic involvement who is contented with whatever comes to him uninvited our guru paramahansa yogananda the way he would put it is what comes of itself let, let it come. come now that's our first test okay am i free from not only this particular karma but from karma in general if i am fully able to allow whatever come to just pass through me so now where does karma get created this is the fun part karma is not created by action alone karma is created by our reaction to an action the way our guru said all circumstances are neutral how we react to it makes them good or bad so here we are an insult came if i can just let that flow through me there's no karma at all you know at every moment we can become karmaless but as that insults coming what do we do either we resist it or we start building up anger inside ourselves or we start thinking now what is my response going to be and that whole process entangles us with that karma let's forget the insult let's even think of something good <laughs> same thing this is what he think who is contented with whatever comes to him uninvited and i'm talking about the good things as well because what is our intention with anything two things we do either we resist and fight or we hold on to that we they never leave us again oh this person loves me and they must love me forever and ever and ever and ever oh this wonderful thing was said about me and now this i want everyone to say this about me or something bad happens and then all our energy goes out to really push that bad thing away either way it is us who engage in karma karma itself is also neutral when it's coming to us a it's coming to us because we deserve it that's a hard one to always swallow but nothing will come to you that isn't already yours 
but as it's coming to us it's actually coming to us in pure neutrality but then as we engage with it we then create what becomes our karma and so the first step for us as an our own test and this is to test individually have i overcome the karma of anger of greed of jealousy of this of that and then you can test it to say am i able to receive things as they come and remain contented remain joyful i'm joyful if something bad came i'm joyful if something good came my joy level doesn't change now this again does not mean that we're doormats okay i can't engage in absolutely every anything so i must just stand here and just let things come to me and okay i don't you know or it's not different yeah or just like okay i don't care i don't care there is no concept of i don't care here the idea here is that first we allow it to come then we must have to respond to it in whichever way is most appropriate and the appropriateness could be saying something you know a little sharp in return but that sharpness is not a reaction to what happened it is what the particular situation may have called for and so the only way to judge this is on the inside knowing kahan se aaya wo where did that come from did it prick when it came is it coming out with this deep desire to hurt that person now in return and all that is where karma lives not so much in the actual outward interaction in a living wisely you know the book living wisely living well we used to do sometimes classes on it in which swami kriyananda who wrote it for every day he gave us you know one practice one attitude one clear way of going through that day and on one of them which is you know a favorite of mine is when someone insults you you should thank <laughs> them <laughs> because they have just reminded you that you have not yet arrived at your goal of perfection so you say oh thank you you know i i had completely forgotten i thought that i had overcome certain of these things but my by the very fact that your insult hurt me oh thank you i i now know i still have work to be done it's like so we may not be at the stage of thanking people for for what their the hurts they cause but the first step is can i just accept it completely as it is without first getting my feelings involved into judging whether it's good or bad whether i'm hurt or not oh this karma has come and the only way you'll know if you're free from this karma is if it can flow through you or whether you're going to cling on to it that's your two options secondly krishna says who is even minded and untouched by duality so even mindedness is the you can say crux of a contented soul that the mind stays that the mind doesn't spin that's what happens on the outs you know on the surface i can look very serene and i can have my beautiful smile and i can say nothing touches me but <laughs> right here you know i'm planning my next strategy of how i'm going to get at this person and you know or how am i going to better pretend <laughs> that nothing touches me so you have to the mind has to also not have any ripple in it during this process and again that's another check for us what what did my mind do did it flutter did it go to some place or was it able to stay in this moment 
completely still. And then of course, untouched by duality is where we were talking about that both sides of the game are at play here. The joys and the pains, the goods and the bads. That's where Chitta in fact plays its game is in duality. When the Ahankar decides, this I like, this I don't like, this I want, this I don't want, this is pleasurable, this is painful. And then he says, he who is also without envy, jealousy and animosity. Now, these are three very simple ways for us to judge ourselves. You know, when we see somebody, when we hear something, when we experience something, what plays out in us? And envy, jealousy and animosity are, are those things that really emphasize our separateness. I don't have that. I wish I had what they had. Or oh, I don't like that person at all. When we, this is the, this is why love is better than hate. Because love is us saying, I include others in my reality, which means it forces my own sense of self and consciousness to expand and thereby become part of other people's consciousness. So love is uniting and then hate and anger and this, this is separating. It's when I'm angry with someone, it's very clear that you and I are very different. We're extremely separate. But when I'm in love with someone, what do I want to do? I want to be with them. I want to touch them. You want to kind of, you know, the, the desire of the outward act of love even is this wanting to, you know, unite yourself. And the outward act of hatred or anger is wanting to separate yourself. And so these things are just outwardly playing as well. So envy, jealousy and animosity are the most, you know, obvious separators of our consciousness. And finally, he who views success and failure with equanimity. So that one we don't need to go through. We've dwelt on it enough. All the effects of karma or action are nullified in oneself and one achieves liberation when ego attachment ceases, when one becomes centered in wisdom and when one's and when all one's actions are offered up in yajna, in sacrifice to the infinite. We come back to that concept which Krishna had introduced already in the previous chapter. So, when ego attachment ceases, and this becomes the, the sense of I is really the post around which karma attaches itself. As long as that post exists, there's always the possibility of karma. At the same time, as Krishna told us, in any given moment, we can become karma-less, we can become ego-less if we let things pass through us. If we just, what comes of itself, let it come. If you can practice that in that moment, you are ego-less, you are karma-less. But you can snap back into, oh, I'm back to, this is me, this is what I do, this is what I like. And so the intention here in the Man, Buddhi, Ahanka, Chitta is to remove this necessity to relate everything back to yourself. This is where the masters stand apart from us. They've got the mind, they've got, they have to perceive, they have to analyze the world 
and then they also actually express themselves fully in the world. That's where people get a little like, I don't want all my desires to go away and all my hopes and dreams to go away because then who am I? But look at the masters, look at how much they achieve, how much better they achieve than any one of us can. Even on just a prosperity level, you know, they just go out and they just magnetize what they need. But that sense of I around which karma can attach them, itself to them doesn't exist. So no matter what they do in the world, it's like them just writing on water. In the autobiography, uh, uh, Paramahansa Yogananda describing aspects of Babaji talks about him as not having a shadow, that he leaves no footprints. And that's really also on a metaphorical level. They have no shadow, they have no dual reality. They leave no footprints of karma on this earth in manifested world. And so this is not something we need to wait to achieve. Oh, when I'm in that state of bliss in Samadhi, then I will get to the state. This, the beauty of what Krishna is sharing with us is, this can be not only practiced moment by moment, it can be experienced moment by moment. Oh, okay, this is what it feels like not to have karma. And then you start to learn how to apply it to other things because yeah, we're, we're going to have karma. We do have karma. But we can actually deal with it if we really want to. That becomes the main point here. And so then Krishna says, once, once that ego attachment, when that, when that post of your reality no longer exists, there's nothing that can hold on to it. So one becomes completely liberated in that moment. And then you become centered in wisdom and all your actions become as offerings, as yagya to the infinite. For such a person, verse 24, both the act of offering and the offering itself are equally aspects of the one spirit. The fire of wisdom and the person making the offering are both spirit. In this realization, the yogi, freed from ego identification, goes straight to Brahman. This is the final state we're trying to achieve. Knowing, knower, known as one. Actor, action, and the result of the action as one. He who offers, he who is receiving the offering, the act of offering as one. Paramahansa Yogananda put it as God helping God. Anytime somebody would say, oh master, thank you for doing this. All he would say is, it's only God helping God. He saw, they see nothing else going on. You know, I mean, it's, it's a little beyond our ability to comprehend it. But can you really imagine? I am God. This book is God. The words that are coming out is God. The harmonium is God. The camera is God. The wires that connect to the camera is, is God. Your ability to perceive is God. The sound that's coming through is... I mean, it's just, where do we create these lines of differentiation? But you see this feeling, of course, in very deep meditation, we can experience what that feels like, that complete unity, when the sense of self dissolves through deep concentration from dharan we go into dhyan, and from dhyan we go into samadhi. But even at that dhyan state, where knowing, knower, known, meditator, act of meditation, and the object of meditation unite, 
we're not going to only have to wait then. What Krishna is saying is, once we learn, and this is where the simple practice of what comes of itself, let it come. Because what we're doing, it's not like God doesn't want to give himself in his entirety to us. In fact, he's already giving himself in his entirety to us. The problem is God's entirety is both dual. So what we tell when we relate to the world the way we do, what we're essentially saying is this. I want God in this form, but I don't want God in this form. I like God when he comes to me like this, but I don't like God when he comes to me like this. So you can't both accept and reject God at the same time. And that's where we live. We live in both an acceptance and rejection of God. Every moment, every breath, every thought is carving God up and saying, this part of God I like, this part of God I don't like. And the yogi who can let come whatever comes of itself finally sees whatever comes is coming to me from God. You've got this beautiful story of Ramdas, who was this, you know, just complete renunciate, this sadhu who would go around just with his loincloth and one lati and, you know, just maybe one book that he carried, which was maybe the Ramayana. He was a Ram Bhakt. And one day he was, you know, uh, one night he was sleeping in a hut and a thief comes in and the thief, and he has gla he wore glasses and a thief takes his glasses and takes his, you know, he says, now give me this, now give me that, now give me your dhoti, now give me your this. Then he takes it all away and the next morning his disciples find him and he's just in bliss completely and he, they're, they're shocked to see him completely naked with all his possessions <laughs> missing and he's just so joyful and they're like, what happened? He's like, ah, Ram visited me last night and Ram asked me for my, you know, my danda and he asked me for my glasses and I mean, for them, it was just like, ha, huh, God wants his things back? <laughs> sure. And for us, that's like a really hard thing to perceive. So when Krishna says you're at that point, for such a person, the act of self-offering, the offering itself are equally aspects of the spirit. The fire into which they are offering it and the person making the offering is also spirit. When that reality comes, it won't come from one aha moment. It will come from us starting to, okay, this is also God. This is also God. I can't reject God in this form. And I can't only accept God in this form. This is where the need for even-mindedness and contentment comes in. It's not this, well, you have to be this way because, you know, it's like a control of what I have to. It's you so joyful that God is choosing to come to you in all his forms. That you just readily say, come. What comes of itself, let it come because this is my God coming to me. And then little by little you start seeing, oh, I'm also God. Oh, this person's also God. Oh, this experience is also God. And that's what we need to take into our meditation. Our meditation can't be separate where in the world I don't see him, but in my meditations I will see him. That's not how it works. I start to learn to see him in the world and that learning becomes so much deeper in my meditation and then when I come back out, now I see him even more. And then I take that into my meditation and that becomes even deeper and now I see him even more. Until it's just... As Krishna himself will say in the Gita at a certain point, he who sees me everywhere, I see him always. 
He never loses sight of me, nor I lose sight of him. And that's the state we are trying to achieve. It's not just enough for us to say, you know, I'm looking for that unity with that one divine, that one form, that Krishna. No, he's right here. Narayani is Krishna. <laughs> the harmonium is Krishna. The food we're going to eat now after this is Krishna. And we just, that's the hard part. We can't actually receive God when he's staring us right in our face. Our karma is Krishna. Your neighbor who, you know, plays loud music <laughs> is Krishna. And then, for some yogis, there are, in fact, let's not go here, because there's a whole four verses now where Krishna actually explains to us the different ways that we can offer yagya. This is how different temperaments see yagya and create that offering. You know, if you're, if you're more wisdom oriented, if you're more bhakti oriented, if you're more karma yoga oriented, and he just says, okay, those who have wisdom, this is how they can offer that yagya. Those who are action oriented, this is how they can offer the yagya. But essentially, that's the final point for us that comes, is that everything I do is an act of self-offering. And the masters see that because when we say, which is again, you know, it's like, the spiritual path is actually in so many ways completely contradictory and oxymoronic. Even to say so many different words, the masters and God and you know, it's just like, it's like they're all just the same. But when the masters come and say that they're here to serve God, you know, it's easy for us to think of these like two different realities. But there's just no reality. However, yet when they're in manifestation, they, they serve those same laws of self-offering. That's how they cre keep themselves in that state of complete freedom. It's just that everything they do is just being offered to that greater reality, which they're already one with. I mean, because there is no greater reality than the consciousness that they already possess. Yet at the same time, they relate to the reality the way you and I would relate to it. This is the beauty of how consciousness and God and Krishna, they're both personal and impersonal, infinite and infinitesimal in the sense that individualized in each one of us, in every atom. And that play is really the hard part for us to comprehend. Everything is God. Isn't that just both an amazing thought, but also just a, how can that be? How is that even possible? But it's not a mental concept. It's just get into it. Really try to experience it. Try to practice it. That's the beauty of the spiritual path when made practical. When it's removed from the realms of some esoteric state that one day you will achieve. Now it's like, wow, I can live this right now. Right after this, as I step into some little activity and something happens that wouldn't otherwise be what I want or something happens that I really was hoping for and then I just watch myself the even-mindedness the ability to just let it come and we can just move from step to step activity to activity person to person reaction to reaction 
and then just see every karma can be neutralized then and there. There is no need for us to perpetuate this cycle. Everything, the way our Guru said, in this life you can be free. Aim to be free in this life. And that's what Krishna is also extolling us, encouraging us towards through his beautiful words. Ariani, additional thoughts that people can... <laughs> well, I think it's beautifully explained. I don't think there will be any extradition, but I was remembering Yogananda used to say to his disciples, I feel so sad. I mean, it's just like my heart breaks into pieces every time I see you in a mood because I can sense, I can perceive that the evil, the darkness has entered into your body and has taken ownership of yourself. And when that, we allow that darkness, in a sense, we are opening to express that consciousness that Krishna was saying of jealousy, envy, you know, competition, when we compare with other people, that means that whatever karma has come to us, it has not passed through, but it has, uh, get, it has stopped in our body and it's taken that form, that lower consciousness or whether manifested through a mood, through a little bit of depression or suddenly sad or anxious or restless or, you know, it can be manifested that darkness in so many ways. So whenever you start feeling throughout the day that that energy, you know, is shifting and you are not able to perceive that joy in everything you do, whoever you are with, just stop and just scan your body, scan your energy like, uh oh, if there is any even corner of darkness right now within me, like, it just needs to go away or whether it needs to pass through so that consciousness doesn't remain there. Only then we will be able to practice contentment at its perfection. Yogananda said that contentment in itself is a virtue. It's not something that comes as a consequence of. It's something that needs to be consciously practiced daily and an affirmation is one of the best ways to consciously practice that state of contentment. Shujo was given that beautiful affirmation that Swamiji recommended, Yogananda recommended, whatever it come, let it come. He also said, mentally repeat these words, I need nothing. I need no one. I am free. I need nothing. I need no one. I am free. In myself, I am free. Keep repeating these words like a play record. Record play. player. Record player in your mind uh, until you become that perfect consciousness of contentment. So make a conscious choice. I mean, in fact, this should be the homework of this week. 
in order not to even allow for a second to channel any energy that will bring us lower than we should be, that will prevent us from perceiving that shining light going through everything and everyone. One of the things that I love about communication through WhatsApp is that every time you need to respond or even react to a message, you can choose a specific emo what? emoji. emoji. <laughs> and I love always, no matter what message comes, to choose the emoji of the person laughing, like really, really like tears coming out from his eyes, just laughing about it. And I think this could be a good way for us to respond even to that karma that comes to us in, you know, bring the sense of humor in that situation and don't take it so seriously, so personally that that come comes only to you because it's not it's neutral that karma it's just neutral it's up to each one of us how we can or want to respond to that so visualize yourself every time that something comes to you throughout the day like that emoji emoji <laughs> emoji or emoticon emoticon okay just like laughing with tears in your eyes. I mean, that's another wonderful way to respond to karma at its highest. And even if you cannot do it sincerely, let me tell you a secret, fake it, because at least you will start from something rather than reinforcing how bad you feel about that particular action or situation that has come into your life. So let's practice that, that and see if that will help us. First of all, the affirmation for contentment, whatever you choose, whatever it come, let it, let it come as a conscious, constantly words repeating in your mind and visualizing yourself like that funny person choosing to respond to that situation from your highest and don't allow your guru or your guide to feel sad whenever he sees that you are channeling something not greater than your highest potential.